Hey everyone, I'm Felipe. I'm the lead pastor at Echo Church. There are 8 billion people on planet Earth right now and about 8 million right here in the Bay Area. But there's only one of you. And the thing that we all have in common is a desire to know our purpose. Why are we here? So I want to invite you on a journey with us, a journey to explore the meaning of life. If there is a God, why did He put us here? Not just here on Earth, but here in the Bay Area or the places where we live. See, we don't have all the answers at Echo, but we're passionate about living a life on purpose. So let's explore God together. Why were we put here? I think everyone wants to know, why were we put here? Why are we on earth? Hey, brother, this way, I, I like, I'd like to think that God is real. The Bible, that's controversial. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Why would anybody want to create people who do horrible things to each other? Does it make any sense? I was raised atheist. I don't believe in higher power, but I also don't claim to know everything about the world. Have you noticed how easy it is to get answers to questions these days? This is good and it's bad. See students, when I was growing up and needed to do research or find answers, I had to open up encyclopedias or check out books at the library or find some smart person to help me. Today, it's totally different. When we want to know something, we just Google it, we ask Alexa or chat GPT. Alexa, show me how to solve equations including inverse trigonometric functions or Google when is the next season of Outer Banks start or when's the next Warriors game. Now you can even ask ChatGPT to make your resumes and research a topic or find out how many species of monkeys there are on earth. In fact, I feel like we don't even need to ask anymore because moments after I think of something I'm just curious about, it just mysteriously appears on my phone. Someone asked me this past week in my house what happened to Trump and then the minute I opened my phone, there was his mugshot. Well, whether you like it or not, devices have become extensions of who we are and they fuel all kinds of curiosity, the good kind and the bad kind. And as incredible as those tools are, there are some questions that we cannot get answers for with them, but they have the power to actually transform things in our lives. Questions like, why am I here? Why does my life matter? Why do I have such crippling imposter syndrome? Why doesn't my job feel as satisfying as it once did? How can I fix my marriage? Why does the world seem to be getting more and more chaotic? How do I battle my depression? And is there anybody out there looking out for me? See, those questions aren't just the type that make you curious. They're the kind that keep you up at night. And if you avoid them, they get worse. See, while life is beautiful and full of promise, it also has hard questions that we have to navigate with our minds and our hearts. Today, we're beginning an eight-week series in conjunction with hundreds of churches across the Bay Area called Explore God. And we're gonna dig into seven of the biggest questions that have the capacity to change all of our lives. Now, I just wanna say off the bat, especially to those of you that have been invited by a friend or found us through marketing, that we're so glad that you're here. See, as a church, we try to be a place that is safe for anybody to wrestle through their questions. You don't have to look like somebody or have all the answers to things to be here. This is a safe space for you to explore God. We're gonna do this on Sundays and around tables in these table groups meeting throughout the week. 
Now, the series is kicking off with a question that everyone has asked at some point in life. Does life have a purpose? Does my life actually matter? See, the answers to these questions impact every part of our lives. It impacts what you study in school. It impacts your work. It impacts how you approach marriage or who you marry. It even impacts your sense of fulfillment in life. And these are worth pursuing. One of the people in history that most pursued purpose and meaning was King Solomon. In fact, you might even say that he went overboard with his pursuit of this. King Solomon was the third king of Israel thousands of years ago and by far the most successful and wisest king to live on earth. He wrote this book called Ecclesiastes and we don't know for sure if it was him or just his school of thought that's in the book, but we know this, it's about the meaning of life. In fact, he says over and over again in this book, this one phrase, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Very encouraging, isn't it? So uplifting, nothing matters in life. Well, this is one of those books that if you take out of context or just read it partially, you walk away very confused and hopeless. But in the original Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the word for meaningless is havel, which literally means vapor. It is just a vapor. It denotes something temporary or fleeting. It doesn't mean it's valueless. It just means it goes away. It's got no substance. It's empty. It's kind of like just the mist or vapor from this bottle. See, Solomon says that everything is like vapor. There's so much in life that's temporary and fleeting and is just not solid or long term. Now, if you think Solomon was just kind of speaking out of nowhere, you're wrong. He actually went all out to find out if this was true. He experienced all kinds of things to come up with the conclusions that he wrote about in this book. So he explains all the ways that he pursued purpose and meaning. See, first of all, he searched for purpose in knowledge and in wisdom. Listen to what he wrote. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness to folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like chasing after the wind. This is so relatable for us in the Bay Area, isn't it? See, in our age of information, our culture idolizes the one that can wield information to their advantage the best. It's not just knowing the facts that intrigues us, it's being able to use those facts and information and people skills to be able to get ahead. Ancients from all religions across the world call this wisdom. We just want to be wise. That's why somehow CEOs of companies now have become household names. It's why kids grew up wanting to be influencers more than movie stars. It's why we root for the characters in movies that use their creativity to save people. It's why we want to be the wisest, smartest person in the room. And we go into lots of debt to educate ourselves to get as much knowledge and wisdom as we can. But Solomon, scripture claims, was the wisest man to have ever walked the planet. And in fact, when God asked Solomon in a dream, whatever he wants, Solomon asks, Lord, I just want wisdom. And God gives it to him. So all these nations got envious of what Solomon was able to accomplish. But then listen to what he said. I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like chasing the wind. 
See, as you meet more and more people in Silicon Valley or the Bay Area, you quickly realize that your head can be full while your heart feels completely empty. Have you been looking for purpose in wisdom or in knowledge? Well, Solomon's search for purpose continued. He then went on to search for purpose in his accomplishments. He said this, I also try to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks and I filled them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect water to irrigate my flourishing groves. See, on top of the list of accomplishments here, Solomon also was responsible for building the temple in Jerusalem, which you can still go see today, parts of it. See, if anyone had a list of accomplishments that would adequately populate a LinkedIn profile, it was Solomon. See, accomplishments in the Bay is the air we breathe. And to sum up our culture here is just to say, move fast, break things, accomplish as much as you can, no matter the cost. See, years ago, I went through a program here in the Bay Area called SoCare. I was having a hard time with my pace of life. So I joined this 10-month cohort with other Bay Area leaders. And I, through that journey, experienced something very deeply meaningful. I found out I was addicted to productivity. That's what made me feel valuable. Can you relate with that? It's actually an addiction that I think most of us in the Bay Area share. We're always looking for the next thing. Well, in the end, Solomon would say this, accomplishments alone are just meaningless, like a vapor. They do not last. Have you been looking for purpose in accomplishments alone? See, Solomon tried to find meaning in wisdom. It was empty. He tried to find it in accomplishments, didn't get him anywhere. So then he tried a different route. Solomon began to search for purpose in pleasure. Okay, surely, so Solomon thought, pleasure is what it's all about. Let me try everything that makes me happy. He said, I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. I had many beautiful concubines, which are basically sexual partners. I had everything a man could desire. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. He went crazy. He was desperate. If it looked good, he consumed it. If he were an influencer, his pictures would have all the right people. It would have all the beautiful places that we travel. It would have Michelin star chefs making him food. It would have a crew of friends that would make us all envious of the kind of life he was living. See, scripture tells us he had 500 wives and concubines. 500! That's like about two a day. I have a hard time remembering the special days for my one wife. Imagine 500. See, anything he wanted, he took. But even with a world of pleasure at his fingertips, he still found it all meaningless. So we might protest, well, maybe Solomon didn't look enough, or if he could just get more of what he wanted, he'd be satisfied. But the problem with pleasure is that it's never enough. C.S. Lewis says it this way, it's an ever-increasing craving for an ever-decreasing pleasure. At the end, it is meaningless. Lastly, Solomon searched for purpose in wealth. He said this, I collected great sums of silver and gold and treasures of many kings and provinces. I became greater than any who had ever lived in Jerusalem before me. See, to this day, no one has surpassed the amount of wealth that King Solomon was able to accumulate. Elon Musk even has a long ways to catch up with him. Yet wealth too only left him feeling like he never had enough. 
It was just a mist. Another search that looked solid but leaves you pretty empty. We've become so much more aware these days of the fleeting nature of wealth in the last few years. With the rocky stock exchange, the bank collapses, the entire markets that seem promising just disappearing. People have made and lost so much wealth these days. And so we know that it's going to leave us empty, yet we still pursue it and we get anxious about it. And there's more depression because of it. King Solomon knew because of his own wealth that it would not satisfy. By all accounts, he should have been content, yet he was not. Everything he grabbed hold of didn't end up having any substance. But if that's the case and none of those things satisfy, we're still left with a gaping hole for purpose. See, the author of Ecclesiastes knew that. And rounding out the book, the writer makes a conclusion that points to what he believes every person needs to fill that hole. If it's not wisdom, accomplishments, pleasure, or wealth, what is it? What is my purpose? Here's what he wrote. Now that it's been all heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, worship Him in awe and reverence, and keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or bad. In essence, he's saying that our purpose is found in placing God at the very center of our lives. It's not all that other stuff. See, when we put God in the center, everything changes. We spend most of our lives trying to pursue things that help us avoid pain and suffering, wealth, pleasure, wisdom. But what the author of Ecclesiastes is pointing to here is that when God is actually at our center, we have the capacity to live with purpose regardless of circumstance. In other words, God Himself gives us purpose as we center our lives on Him. See, Solomon started this book with a tone of arrogance, seeing God as most people do, distant, impersonal, maybe a God who created us for meaningless existence. But after all his searching, he's been humbled and begins to understand what the rest of Scripture teaches us, that God is not holding out on us, but rather inviting us into a fuller life. Early Christian theologian Augustine of Hippo said it this way, You have made us for yourself, God, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in thee. That's why Jesus came. That's why He sacrificed His life for humanity. That's why He did all of this so that we can have that which we were created for, intimacy with God. See, you really matter to God. His love towards you is extravagant. And the closer you get to Him, the more your heart will come alive. Jesus said, I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you can expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. Life in intimacy with Jesus is not a mist or a vapor. It's like an overflowing river inside of our thirsty souls. Your purpose is not a secret, by the way. God is not playing hide and seek with you. He's just waiting for an invitation. James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way, move your heart toward God. Move it closer and closer to God, and He will come even closer to you. Your purpose begins with knowing God personally and intimately. So I want to give you a couple of challenges in light of this. See, first of all, if you're here and you're like, man, I don't know all this God stuff. I don't know if this is for me. The author of Ecclesiastes wrestled long and hard for answers, and there's room for you to do the very same thing. See, for anyone wrestling with what you believe about God, here's a challenge for you today. 
See, the 17th century mathematician Blaise Pascal had one of the greatest intellects in the history of Western civilization. He grew up knowing about God, but not earnestly following Him. Then he had a profound middle-of-the-night experience with God, and it changed his heart. And that experience ignited Pascal's passion to help others find their way back to God as well. Pascal began to challenge his fellow intellectuals to a wager on God, kind of similar to King Solomon. He figured the best way to learn was just to experiment. So he dared his colleagues to step into a belief about God and see if it didn't change their lives. Pascal explained his wager this way. He said, make a bet that there is a God who loves you. And if you're right, you have everything to gain. If you are wrong, you have nothing to lose. So if you're wrestling with what you believe today, I want to challenge you the same way. Will you place a bet on God? Would you ask Him to make Himself real to you? The risk I want you to take is this. Like Pascal's wager, pray to God. It may seem awkward at first, but I want you to try it, to talk to God and be open to the possibility that He will listen and respond to you. Here's the prayer I want to challenge you to pray every day for the next seven days. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. See, that prayer changed my life as a 16-year-old sophomore in high school. I was trying to fill that void with drugs and alcohol and girls, and everything felt so empty to me. And I mustered up the courage to pray that prayer, and to my surprise, God met me in it. See, pray that prayer, and then sincerely look for God to make Himself known to you in unexpected ways. And for those of you already considering yourselves followers of Jesus, I want to challenge you to invite God by praying this prayer. God, if you're real, help me center my life on you. See, don't settle for a little bit of God. Strive for the overflowing, full life that God promised. Don't make God a little side note of your story. Make Him the center of your story. And if He is at your center today, stop chasing vapors. Don't be the person on Sunday that you're not on Monday or neglect His Word and just imitate the world. Fear God, take Him seriously, follow His commands, stand in awe of Him. See, when you make God your center, everything changes. He shows you how to make your life count. Your sins are no longer held against you because He forgives you. Your age is no limitation for you. Young or old, He empowers you. Your pain becomes a platform for your purpose. Your limitations become opportunities for God to display His power. And your work, your relationships, your longings all find their purpose in Him. See, the one who stands outside of time is calling your name. Your whole life becomes about Him when you make Him the center. So no matter where you live, no matter what you've done or have not done yet, what mistakes you've made in life, God wants you to know Him more today. So invite Him. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. See, as we journey through the next eight weeks together, your commitment really matters. So come consistently on Sundays, show up to a table group to discuss the topics with friends. If God is real, let's pursue Him together and ask Him to reveal Himself in deeper ways to each of us. These questions really matter. And the journey of discovering the answers might just be what changes your life forever. Let me pray for us. Father, would you reveal yourself to us? If you are real, deepen faith in us and open our eyes to who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.